Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Try to imagine with me your final standing before God, where you have to give an account of what and why you are there, why you should be allowed into the presence of God forever. Aren't you thankful that your salvation does not depend upon you? How would God label you if if He took in, into consideration your works and your thoughts and your motives? How would God label you? As pretty good? Not as bad, bad as others I've seen that have come this way before? No, He would label you and He would label me as wicked. Because anyone who keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point is guilty of all. If all that we had to stand on were our own accomplishments, we would be condemned. The truth and the beauty of the Gospel is this, that when you stand before God, He will not label you as wicked even though you deserve that title and I deserve that title. He will label you as righteous because of what Jesus Christ had done. Not because of your performance, your human effort, because of what is called an alien righteousness. That is a righteousness outside of you, outside of me. We are justified. We are counted as righteous, as in Christ. And in this passage this morning, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1-5, through Paul shows the Galatians and us that our righteousness comes on the basis of of Jesus Christ. The problem with these Galatian believers, the churches of Galatia, was that they were turning away from this true doctrine. And this is why this doctrine of what's called justification is so critical. We can't skip over it. And we could say doctrine in general is very important. We can't skip it because it's very tempting to move right to practice. I want I want to know what God wants me to do. What what are all the 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 do's and don'ts that I have. I mean, wouldn't it be much simpler if we were just given a, able to get a practical answer for every question that we had? We could have some sort of um, Google Bible or something like that where we just type in a question about a specific area of life and it spits out the answer, how we're supposed to respond. But that's not how God designed His revelation to work. He designed it to come in propositional truth, that is, truth in the form of a sentence, in the form of a thought, in a, in a cohesive thought. And then that doctrine actually leads us into rightly motivated practice. And so if we skip over the doctrine that God has already laid out in Scripture then and move right to the practice, then we can actually do damage to what God has designed it for. In fact, when Paul writes his letters, this is the way he does it every single time. He starts out with a large section in his in his epistle on doctrine. Okay, let me just take the first one for example, Romans, Romans chapters one through eleven. This is how Christ saved you. This is how you were justified. This is why God did it. This is how you were condemned before you were justified, and so on. Chapter one through eleven. Then what does he do in chapter twelve through sixteen? Then he gives a practical section. He says, therefore. 
I beseech you, on, because of the mercies of God, chapters 1 through 11, that you ought to offer your bodies as living sacrifices and so on. And, and chapter 12 through 16 is full of commands. Ephesians, same sort of thing. Chapter 1 through 3, he talks about the doctrine of election and several other great doctrines of the faith. And then chapters 4 through 6, this is what it looks like in your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your church, and so on. And he does the same thing here in Galatians as well. He gives a large section on what we call doctrine. And sometimes it feels like, okay, why do we, why, it feels like we're going to school here, right? We've got to learn all these things again. But Paul is very, uh, very concerned about the Galatians' understanding because, because, because if they and we don't understand the doctrine rightly, we're not going to do the practice either at all or rightly. We're not going to do it with the right motivation. And so he's going to get to the practice, chapters 5 and 6. Chapters 1 through 4 is filled with doctrine. And that's where we're at right now. Alright, so he's going to continue to show that salvation and sanctification comes by faith alone. Not through our performance. Not because of our performance. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read the first five verses. This is the Word of God. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. So then... Does He who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This morning we're going to see that we receive the Holy Spirit by our faith, not because of our performance. It's interesting the way that Paul lays this out. He doesn't give any propositions in this passage. He doesn't give any positive declarations or commands. He uses questions, doesn't he? He just asks a bunch of questions, and all the questions have implied answers. That is, that he doesn't list the answers, but we understand what the answers are from, from the context around it. And so Paul had been, remember in chapter 1, had been defending the fact that he was an apostle. And the reason he wanted to defend that was because these people of Judaism, these Judaizers, were attacking his apostleship. You weren't really an apostle, or if you were, you were a lower-tiered one. And therefore, you've actually altered the gospel. So Paul, what he was really concerned is not about his name primarily, but about the gospel. You can't disparage the gospel. And so he had been defending that in chapters 1 and 2. And now he turns to defend the gospel from the Scriptures, chapters 3 and 4. Okay, here's, here's what it was like from the time that I was uh, an unbeliever all the way till now. That's what he's been defending. Remember, what, first time we went to Jerusalem, second time we went to Jerusalem, uh, and, and so on. Now he says, all right, let me show you from the Scriptures where this is true. And so he's going to transition here in chapter 3. Now, he doesn't really begin that until verse 6. But here, he, what he's doing is he's pointing back to their salvation experience. 
How did you receive the Spirit? Verse 2. This is the only thing I want to know. That's what he says. How did you receive the Spirit? So he points back to their salvation experience. Alright, so the first thing that uh, Paul does is he defends... Uh, is he, he tries to establish that the, the believers there in Galatia, in the Galatian churches, received the Spirit through faith. He does that in verses 1 and 2. And then he shows in verses 3 through 5 that they continue in faith with faith, through faith. They continue in the believing life. They continue to receive the Spirit through faith, not through their performance. And so let's look at the first part here in verses 1 and 2. That we receive the Spirit at salvation by our faith, not our performance. Notice the main point of this text in verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 5 repeats that idea. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The reason we know that this is the main point of this paragraph here is because he repeats it in verses 2 and 5 and then and then he also precedes it verse 2 this is the only thing i want to find out from you okay so all the rest really point to this this main question that he has how did you receive the the law or how did you receive the spirit all right so the way that he goes about this is he uses six questions to try to to try to uh, point the Galatians back to the truth. And these questions point to the Galatians' specific experience. The first question is found in verse 1. And that is, to show the Galatians the object of their faith. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly proclaimed as crucified? Paul points back to the time when he first declared the Gospel to them. And he wants them to see that it wasn't because of their own performance. He says, how could you miss this? I publicly portrayed Christ before you. It's as if I put it on a huge billboard. You didn't see Christ crucified yourself, but I showed you Him in the Scriptures. Now, you've turned from it. It's like that bronze snake in, in, uh, that was put up on the pole in Numbers chapter 20 that whoever would look would live. Paul's saying, I, I showed him to you and you looked and you lived. But now, notice what kind of language he uses here. You foolish Galatians. You bewitched Galatians. Even though Paul preached Christ to them so clearly, they had begun to turn away from this message. When he says foolish here, he's not talking about the incapacity for knowledge, that you're just not smart enough. But rather that you have all the facts, but but you're lacking spiritual discernment. You're not putting it together. And then he uses this other word that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Now... The idea of being bewitched, this is really the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. And it has the idea of putting someone under a spell. Paul's not saying, okay, you're under a spell, but he's saying, you're acting like you are. Wake up, Galatians. It is as if 
you're under a spell. You need to snap out of it. Salvation doesn't come. It didn't come and it doesn't come because of your performance. It it comes on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. Sometimes we come to passages like this in the Bible and we think about the Galatians and we say, how foolish are these people? I mean, it's only been a year since Paul's been there. That he was initially there to establish the churches with Barnabas. And now they've already turned away from it? I mean, how could they be so foolish? I mean, I think of the disciples. After having witnessed Jesus calming the storm in Mark chapter 4 and then feeding the 5,000 and uh, and, uh, walking on water, Mark chapter 6, and then feeding the 4,000, Mark chapter 8, so they've seen these great works of God, include, including Jesus, just produce food supernaturally. And they get on the boat, they get ready to go across, and they have one loaf of bread. And it's not a loaf like ours, it's more like a flat bread. Okay, one little flat bread is not going to be enough for 13 people. And they start to talk to each other. What are we going to do? You know who's on the boat with them? The one who walked on water, who calmed the storm, who fed the 5,000 and fed the 4,000. In fact, I think it was the same day that he just finished feeding the 4,000. They're saying, where are we going to get bread to eat? Jesus says, are you so dull? Are you so lacking in understanding? Do you see and not perceive? Do you hear and and not understand? And he's pointing back to Isaiah where... That passage is actually pointing to unbelievers. Is that the way you're responding here? And we look at the disciples and say, you had Jesus with you. You've seen Him do these things. How could you, how could you not trust Him? And it's easy for us to become cynical of them and people like the Galatians until we look at our own hearts and recognize that in all of human history, we have... We are blessed because we have the completed revelation of God. We have more revelation about God and His program and His Son, Jesus Christ, than anyone before the time of Jesus Christ. You and I do. And if you consider yourself, myself, in comparison to the rest of the world, you are in the minority of people who have a copy of the completed Scripture in your language. You are in a very small minority of people. And do you ever lack faith in what God can do? Do you ever question God's way? Do you ever try to accomplish things apart from accomplish things apart from God? I do. And I'm rebuked when I think of 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 myself in comparison to people like this, the Galatian believers the disciples. I am often lacking in spiritual discernment. It's as if sometimes I am cast under under a spell. That we have sometimes missed the boat so bad spiritually. We've, We've abandoned what we first believed and started to turn to something else that is actually against what the Scriptures teach. So the first question 
that Paul gives in verse 1 points them back to the object of their faith. You need to look back to Christ and Him crucified. That's what I displayed before you. He is on. He was on display and He needs to be back on display because you're starting to get your, your gaze fixed away from Him. The second question is found in verse 2. And he wants to show them how they initially received the Spirit. Notice the question there at the end of the verse. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is pointing them back to where they started. He's not talking about last week or whatever. He's saying, when, I, when you first received the Spirit, when there were obvious signs that the Spirit had worked in your life, how did that happen? Was it because you did all these works? Because of your performance? And so what Paul is doing is setting up two options here. There's only two ways that you can try to come to Christ. One is by doing all of the work on your own trying to satisfy the demands of God. Or the other way is this. Notice the language there at the end of the verse. Hearing with faith. Hearing with faith. If the Spirit has received you and me because of our performance, then that means that there was something that I had to do in order to receive Him. And so that means that I actually received my just desert or my just reward, my earnings. When I go to work for somebody and I receive a paycheck, that's actually what I've earned, my wages. But that's not the way salvation is for any human. We don't earn our wages. We actually get something that we don't deserve. And isn't that exactly the way that many sinful human beings think? That they think that God operates solely on the basis of our performance. So we've got to make sure we do enough good things. And if we do, then God will accept us. Especially if we're doing more than the other person that we know. But here's what's so perplexing about salvation. It is that the work of the Spirit did not become evident to us, listen to this, until after the Spirit already worked in us. The work of the Spirit did not become apparent and evident to us. We didn't understand that He was working in us until after He had already done the work. And then we look back and say, oh, it's kind of like our physical birth. We don't understand that we're actually born. Until later on we start to get some recognition and we look back and say, yes, now I understand I was born by those parents. We often look at our own salvation we think that our faith brought about our spiritual life, but actually it's reversed. It is our spiritual life, that is the spiritual impartation, the spiritual giving of life actually brings about our faith. And so Paul says, how did you come to receive the Spirit? Was it through your performance, the works of the law, or was it through hearing with faith? Now, Paul's primary point is not to say your experience is what matters most. That's not what he's trying to say. He's actually showing, he's going to show really 
a long section here where he points back to scriptural truth. That is, that this is what the scriptures have taught even from the Old Testament. But that, that your, your theology, your doctrine, is actually going to determine whether your experience is legitimate. Here's what Timothy George, one commentator, writes. Experience minus theology will lead to dead orthodoxy. Experience minus theology will lead to dead orthodoxy. But, but experience can be helpful as long as it is supported by or based in proper doctrine, proper theology. And that's why we're spending so much time looking at what Paul has to say about the theology of coming to Christ. All right, so the first thing that he wants to show them is that you did, yet you came to the Spirit, you came to receive the Spirit, not by your performance, but by your faith. And then the second thing he wants to show in verses 3 through 5 is that you continually receive the Spirit for growth, that is, sanctification. You continually receive the Spirit for growth in the same way, by faith, not through your performance. Notice the third question that he gives in verse 3. It's a short one. It says, are you so foolish? Hey, are, are you so idiotic? Have you really missed it? He uses the same word foolish as he uses it there in verse 1. Have you really missed the boat? And now look to the fourth question in verse 3 as well. He wants to show why they're acting so foolishly. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Okay, so let's think about this again. How did you come to God, Galatians? How did it happen? Through your own flesh? Through your own performance? No. It wasn't because you worked for God that He saved you. But it was because God was working for you that you were saved. You didn't work for your salvation. God was working for you. Listen to James 1.18. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. He brought us forth. In the exercise of His will. We were passive in our own salvation, in our own receiving of spiritual life. And so... He asks, if you began that way, if you began receiving the Spirit not by your works, but because of what Christ had done through faith, now you're going to revert to that? In other words, the way that you're living now, are you going to revert to that? Try to earn merit from God as a Christian? Now that you are saved, are you going to try to earn His favor? We can't do that independently. We can't independently trust on our own accomplishments. We have to dependently trust in Christ and what He has done and what He is doing. And saying, you can't revert to back to where you once were. That is, that before you came to Christ, you were counting on your human effort. You can't revert to that. You have to continue in, in believing and trusting God. Now, why would Paul ask this? Well, apparently, the uh, opponents of Paul, these Judaizers, had convinced the Galatians 
that even though they may have received the Spirit here by faith, in order to stay or to have a right standing in God now, they had to accomplish all these things. Okay, These Jewish uh, ceremonial and moral laws. And if you want to be in good standing, that may have been the way it was when you got saved. But, but now, this is what the opponents are saying, you've got, you got to do something. You've got to do something independent of God. And that was sort of the idea there. And this is the critical truth that we need to understand. That all the Christian life is accomplished by the Spirit through faith. All of the Christian life, from the time of your salvation, throughout your growth, your sanctification, to your glorification, it happens through the Spirit. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Two books back towards the back of your Bible. Philippians chapter 1. And the words that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, begun, now are you being perfected by the works of the law, you're going to be reverting to that. So these are the two words we want to look for in Philippians 1.6. Begun and perfected. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began, there's that first word, a good work in you will perfect, or some of your translations may say, complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the same idea from start to finish. If God started... He guarantees to finish it. If your life is genuinely in Christ, if it has been started by the work of the Spirit, you can be sure, you can put it in the bank, and it will be completed all the way until the end. God doesn't give up on a person of whom He's already started a work in So that means that no part of our life from start to finish should ever be trying to earn God's favor. Because if we do, Paul's saying in Galatians chapter 3, you can turn back there, he's saying you've reverted to your old way of thinking. And sometimes that's the kind of God we would like. The kind of God where if I do something, God has to give me something in return. We treat God like He is a vending machine. If we put in our perfect obedience, our going to church, our reading the Bible, we do all these things, God, You have to spit out at the bottom whatever it is that I want. Okay, you have to give me better health. You have to give me better relationships. You have to give me a higher position at work because I keep doing all these things, keep putting in the coins, and nothing's coming out of the stuck. But see, what we've done there is we turned God into a machine, a mechanism, and God is not a mechanism. He's not a machine. He's a person. And what God demands is a relationship. He wants you to see Him as a person. The idea of a vending machine type God turns him into an impersonal force. And he says, I want you to love me for me, not for my gifts, what I can drop down at the bottom. 
Oh, there's lots of things I want to give you, but, but don't try to back me into a corner. I'm the master here. You're my servant. That's what God is saying. So all of our lives, from start to finish, is the Spirit working in us to change us. And all has to happen through faith. That is, we can't independently try to accomplish all these things in order to earn merit before God, whether that's that salvation or whether that's now in your personal spiritual growth. You're not going to earn God's favor. You can't apart from Jesus Christ. Now, in Christ, you are a Spirit-empowered person and you can do great things for God, but it's only in Christ. It's only as you operate with faith. The fifth question is found in verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Here, Paul points the Galatians to the persecution they had received for abandoning the works of the law. Okay, At one time, you were in good graces with the Jews. That was that one time. And so now, as a result, those Judaizers, those people who require Judaism as a way of life, they, they are starting to persecute you. And, you. and you've received that persecution, Galatians. Do you remember that? Do you remember? Okay. Now, is that in vain? Have you done all that in vain? And here's what he says at the end. Well, if indeed it is in vain. See, what I'm telling you, Galatians, is it's not in vain that you did those things. It's not in vain that you turned away from the works of the law. And then the sixth question is found in verse 5. Paul asks a very similar question to the one in verse 2, but here he says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Now, I want you to notice the difference between verses 2 and verse 5. Look at verse 2. The end of the verse. Did you receive the Spirit? Okay, so who's, who is the, who is the, whose point of view is given here in verse 2? Did you receive? The Galatians, right? Now, look at verse 5. Notice whose point of view he's talking about here. Does he who provides you with the Spirit do it by the works of the law? Okay, Galatians, before I was wanting to see from your experience how you receive the Spirit. Not by the works of the law, but by hearing with faith. Now, let me show you from God's perspective how he grants the Spirit. How he provides. The word there means abundantly supply. How does he abundantly supply the Spirit to you now? Do you know how? Not by the works of the law. It's still by hearing with faith. Paul was pointing to their past salvation. Now he's pointing to their present sanctification, their growth. God still provides it by hearing with faith. Turn over to Romans chapter 4. This is the passage I had you write down last week because we didn't have time to go there. But I want to look at it quickly because I want us to see that our faith is not a performance. Maybe you're thinking, well, you keep saying we can't come to Christ by the works of the law, but then you say we have to hear with faith. Aren't those activities? Aren't I engaging in faith? So that's a work. And Paul tells us here in Romans 4 that it is not a, it is not a work. Look at verse 1. What shall we say 
then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. If Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Alright, so the reason I know that faith is not a work is, is, is two. There's two reasons I know that. One is found in verse 5. Notice how Paul makes a contrast between faith and works. But to the one who does not work, but has faith, believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, So Paul's saying you can actually believe and not work. That belief is not a work. Why? And here's the second reason. That is that our belief... If it were a work, then it would be an earning for God to grant us righteousness. Did you see that in verses 3 and 4? What does the Scripture say? In verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, then he'd have something to boast about, but he doesn't. Verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. He had faith in God. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. So if our faith was a work, then what does our work deserve? It deserves a wage. And if that wage is righteousness, then, then we've earned our salvation. Paul's saying, no, it's not. Because even with Abraham, the reason that he had righteousness was because it was credited to him. His account, account was filled up with Christ's future righteousness. And what did he do to earn that? Nothing. Instead, he worked. He, he instead he had faith. He simply believed. So, do you see that that our faith is not a work? And so, Paul's point in Galatians is that our salvation, our initial salvation, and our ongoing growth in Christ comes by hearing through faith. So when we consider these things, that Paul is so adamant about getting the Galatians to think rightly, think about doctrine here, okay? To, to have the right doctrine. Sometimes we say, well, too much doctrine. Get that out of the way. But Paul's saying, I, I'm going to contend for it. You know why? Because you have to understand it. And what we should understand is that there is a spiritual warfare going on for your soul. And at the heart of that warfare is a battle for doctrine. You may think that doctrine is unimportant, just give me the practical stuff, but, but like the Galatians, we can easily slip from the truth that we once believed if we do not continually go back to the doctrine of the Scriptures. And when we do, we, like the Galatians, are in danger of abandoning the faith altogether. You can mark it down that every person and every church that has ever defected from the faith was not attacked primarily in his practice, but in his thinking, his doctrine. 
What you believe, what I believe, determines how we think. And how we think determines how we act. And so the source of what Satan is after is after your mind. He's after the doctrine that you believe. And he wants you to believe wrongly about God. So he's battling for your soul and he would love for you to turn away from doctrinal truth and turn to a performance-based pursuit of God's favor. He would love that. Because now you work to take the credit for all the things that you do in your life from your salvation to every step of spiritual growth. It was me. Satan would love that because now you're doing spiritual things, religious things. And yet your, your heart could still be far from God. You see, when we wrestle, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. You may think your challenges are against actual people, but your challenges are actually against Ephesians 6.12. Rulers and authorities and the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There is a battle for your soul, for your doctrine. Satan came to God and asked for permission to sift Peter like wheat, Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Jesus said. Satan desires to change your doctrine. And in Revelation 12, Satan is pictured as standing between the legs of Israel who is about to give birth to the Messiah. And his goal is to destroy the Messiah. And when Christ dies on the cross, Satan thinks he's won. Until he sees Christ raised from the dead, right? He realizes that his end is coming. And so he no longer can torture Christ anymore, can he? Guess who he's taken out all of his efforts on? What happens to a fighter when they recognize that they're about to be defeated? When they are backed into a corner and recognize that they're about to lose. They come out swinging, don't they? And that's where Satan is right now. And he has a desire to change your doctrine. To take your soul. He wants to remove our desire to follow Christ and, and pursue a performance-based religion. And so Christ's Christ's energy, Satan's energy is spent on attacking our church, our unity, our essential purpose of trying to exalt God by glorifying Christ through our pursuit of holiness and proclaiming His name. The power of sin and Satan is very strong. Satan attacks from outside and our sin attacks from inside our own hearts. We have sin constantly in us. And it's working to destroy us. And if we don't, if we don't actively engage our minds in seeking after and understanding right doctrine, then we will quickly fade away into a false religion into serving God, into trying to serve God with our performance, trying to meet up to His 
expectations with our efforts, trying to earn His favor when we can't. It's all of grace. It's all mercy. And so how does our growth in godliness come? Our growth in godliness comes when we stop trusting in our own performance and start trusting in what God has said. Okay? Sometimes what happens when we come to a sin that's plaguing us, we want to get away from it. We want to stop. And so what do we do? We try to build up more energy to stop it. I'm going to stop, stop, stop. And, and we can't. Because we love it too much. Have you ever been to a place in your life where you knew exactly what was right? You come to a place where you're tempted to sin and you knew exactly what was right. You knew exactly what God had said to do about that situation or not to do. And you did it anyway. And that's the difference between believing God's promises and trusting in our own performance. See, when we trust in our performance, we say, I need to push harder to stop worrying or stop lusting or stop cheating or stop being lazy. But when we trust in God's promises, we say, this is what God said about worry. This is what God said about lust. This is what God said about laziness and cheating or whatever the sin. And God said that if I plunge myself into that, it's going to ruin me and the church. And so I'm going to remove myself. I'm going to believe Him, do you see? I'm going to have faith that what He says is true. Even though right now it seems like the most pleasurable, the the most enjoyable thing for me to do is, is get involved in that sin and do it more. Because when I sin, it's not enough. And so I want to do it at a higher level. That's what seems pleasing to me and and what faith is is saying, this is what God said about it. It's sin. And I'm going to turn from it because I believe God more than, think about this, even my own emotions. So what do we do? How do we avoid being deficient spiritually? How do we avoid lacking spiritual discernment like the Galatians, like the disciples I talked about earlier? Is it that we need a higher IQ? We need a higher higher capacity for learning? And the answer is in this passage. It is, we receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. The the, The disciples understood all the facts. If you think back to Mark chapter 8, I think it is where that passage is, where they forget to bring the bread. They're out on the boat. Jesus asks them two questions. He gives them a quiz. When we fed, when I fed the 5,000, how many basketfuls were left at the end? And the disciples get that question right? Yes, they did. They said 12. You had 12. Okay, what about when I fed 4,000? How many basketfuls did, I, did, did we have left at the end? And they got that one right too. It was seven. And they had the cognizance. They understood the facts. They remembered what exactly Jesus had done, but they hadn't meditated on it or allowed it to change them. And that's what doctrine does to you. When you understand it rightly and when you think about the implications of it, it will change you when you meditate on it. 
because of grace that comes by hearing through faith. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the grace that does come in salvation. We are so tempted to wander and to try to fix all these things on our own and try to make You respond rightly to us when You've told us exactly what we need to do, how we need to believe, and how the object of our faith must be Christ. I pray that our eyes would not be removed from that, but that we, like the writer of Hebrews says, would lay aside the sins that so easily beset us and look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, that we would fix our gaze on Him. And that's not easy. Even if we had a right understanding of the Gospel, even if I had a right understanding of the Gospel one time, we quickly move away from that when we turn away from Your Word, when we don't regularly think about the truth of the Gospel. So I thank You for the reminders that come in the Scriptures that faith is not a work. Salvation does not come by our performance, but it comes by grace. That we don't deserve it. So at the end of the day, we have nothing to boast about. The only thing we can boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ, which was His work. So we praise You for Your mercy and salvation and in growing us, and we pray that You continually pour out Your grace upon us. In Jesus' name, Amen.